everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Tuesday. We've got a big show for you today. We do. We are chilling in Miami. We're not chilling at all. We are like, <laughs> we're in the we're thick on, of it. We're on the death march of fun, as I've started calling it in Miami. <laughs> yes. uh, but we have a great show for you today. Today's guest, I this is one to watch. This is Jack okay. Mollers, the CEO of Strike. Okay. Which I just, I can't get over the action uh, of the name. I love it. It's building a payments app like Venmo and an API for payments on the Lightning Network. Basically like the currency part of cryptocurrency. Yeah. And we'll break all that down for you first. We're going to explain what the Lightning Network is and some news about that. So you go into the interview with a little bit of knowledge. Yeah. Look at us teeing up a story arc. Former Facebook crypto head, uh, David Marcus, recently launched a new company called... LightSpark, which is all about that lightning network, not afraid to get in the crypto space in the downturn. Absolutely. That's generally when fortunes are made in the downturn. They're just collected in the up market. So it's going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Vanta. Compliance and security shouldn't be a deal breaker for startups to win new business. Vanta makes it easy for companies to get a SOC 2 report fast. Twist listeners can get $1,000 off for a limited time at vanta.com slash twist. Open phone. As a startup founder, a lot of mistakes are easy to roll back, but using your personal cell phone number as your company number isn't one of them. Open phone makes it easy to get business phone numbers for you and your team right on top of your existing devices. Visit openphone.co slash twist to get 20% off your first six months. And Reforge. Reforge is a career development platform for top tier professionals in growth, product, marketing, and engineering. Their summer cohort starts July 18th, so apply for membership today at reforge.com slash twist. All right, everybody. Uh, former Facebook crypto head, David Marcus, he was working on the famous Facebook crypto project that was going to Man, it showed so much promise, Molly. They were going to basically build crypto wallets into every Facebook app and allow payments between them. But I think the governments around the world were like, you've done a just enough. You've had enough impact on the world, Zuck. Let's keep you away from monetary policy. They got the big Heisman from the whole world. (laughs) The whole world was like, uh, yeah, you know, the election stuff. Maybe if you fix that and then all of the young people with anxiety and eating disorders Let's have you solve those things before we have your unique brand of impact on money. (laughs) No, thank you. It was a big no, thank you. Yes. Um, So David Marcus has moved on to other ideas. The latest is that uh, it's this light spark, which uh, was led. It had a funding round, not surprisingly, led by A16Z and Paradigm and is apparently going to be a bit of a deep dive into the lightning network so he says as a first step there the goal is to build and extend the capabilities and utility of bitcoin so Mm -hmm. no nft shenanigans here just specifically focused on bitcoin he says as a first step we're actively assembling a team to dive deeper into the lightning network which is of course the network that basically enables bitcoin payments to happen faster and much cheaper like get rid of those transaction fees uh, and that's because quicker network and to be clear the, the the blockchain for Bitcoin is slow and expensive. Mm-hmm. And so nobody wants to buy a $3 latte and wait five minutes for the, you know, latte payment to be recorded on the blockchain. Uh, but 
with the lightning network, my understanding is those things get batched done quickly at some marked price, and then they get put on the blockchain eventually. Um, I'm not exactly sure if every latte purchase needs to be on the blockchain for all eternity either. So right. there's, right. there's some notion here, and I, I don't know if you get into this in the interview, Molly, you can tell me, of does every transaction made need to be stored forever in an immutable way if every single cup of coffee bought every day was done on Bitcoin? Um, does that need to be on an inefficient database that's public and immutable to everybody? I think not. Right. I think not. And I think almost the way to think about it is, and we've done this analogy a bunch, but it's really valuable, right? Is you've got the internet, you've got your TCP IP, you've got your underground cables, you've got all of the things that connect these computers. And then the layers that were built up on top of that make it, uh, you know, yeah. faster and easier. They disaggregate the interaction so that it's like cleaner. You get email, you get mm. search, you get mm. hyperlinks. Yes. Like all of these things on the Lightning Network, and Jack talks about this too, are their layer two. They're the mm. next layer up mm. sedimentarily yeah. and they let you do things more easily and more quickly. And, and you know, so this is like the perfect pairing, these mm. two things, this David Marcus announcement and Jack Mahler's strike, which is sort of all about like, how do we enable the utility of these this currency that we know potentially exists in terms of moving money around the world yeah. with a, you know, in a frictionless way without banks taking a giant cut the whole time. Uh, yeah, and, and I think this is where you know, crypto has had a 10 year um, lost decade of grifting and people being more concerned with selling tokens, selling yeah. NFTs, you know, scamming people in some cases grifting, you know, and pumping and dumping when they could have been just fixing the goddamn base protocols and making the technology usable for consumers. A decade wasted of nonsense uh, really? and grifting. How would people be able to make crap tons of money and then run away to Puerto Rico where there's no <laughs> exactly. tax on your cryptocurrency exchange? Exactly. That's first that's what people, people have to get rich and yes. then we can figure out how it helps society. Let's just <laughs> except in venture in the real real world, it is the exact opposite. <laughs> you gotta create value. So crypto people start creating value for customers. That's the way to get out of crypto winter. We're in crypto winter right now. Projects are going to zero, like they always have. People mm -hmm. are losing a lot of money. There are no more bag holders. Everybody understands now this has been a total grift and a lot of pumping and dumping and shenanigans. And um, I think now the only way out of a crisis like this and for crypto not to be permanently thought of as tulip mania and a scam is for value that consumers understand, Molly. Not yeah. value that's, you know, theoretical and somebody talks to you about staking and you get 19.5% on your Lunas or whatever bull and you ask them, well, who's paying the 19.5% interest every year? And I don't know how that's generated. And if you can't explain to me where who's willing to pay 20% interest a year, when mortgages are still three, four, 5%, like, yeah, if you can't explain it to me, it's probably a scam. And, and I encourage everybody in the crypto community to get focused whoever's left you know i yeah. think it's like literally one to five percent of the people involved in crypto. maybe it's one percent of the people involved in crypto are actually creating real product i think it's less than one percent of the people mm -hmm. in the energy is actually building real product let's make it 99 percent. let's flip it make yeah. it 99 percent of our product because that's kind of how the startup community works it's probably 80 90 percent actually building stuff for consumers and, and companies and maybe 10 or 20 percent hype 
you just you got to have the right ratio here. Yep. Well, uh, and then that leads perfectly into our interview. Jack Mahler's uh, of Strike is one of those builders talking to us from his super fancy closet. This is a really this is one to watch. This is one to watch in that 99%. Stick with us. Jack Mallers is the CEO of Strike, which is a super awesome action name. Welcome to the show. Yo, Molly. Thanks for having <laughs> me. And I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone compliment our name, Strike, which I really I came up with that. Yeah. We've I've built a lot of products in my time with relatively the same team. This is the first one I've named. And probably the last one I'll ever build. So dang. I appreciate it. Dude, <laughs> thanks for naming having me. naming a pod, naming a startup is serious business. Naming anything is serious business. So I you agree. have strike.me. Mm-hmm. Where well, now that we're talking about the name, where before we even jump into what the company does, yeah. how does the name tie in? What what made you call it that? Um, the whole company is predicated on this idea that Bitcoin is the best monetary network of all time. It's the best payments network of all time. It's the best way to escrow physical value ever. And the concept of strike was that it was multifaceted. One, I love the concept that when I Google strike, it's like going on strike, like political Mm. activists or people that are protesting, which I thought this is a very disruptive concept. Then also strike, our logo is a meteors, the concept of striking something that's been there forever and the velocity at which the meteor moves from A to B. Uh, it speaks to the speed of our payments, uh, how we're crashing into a really old legacy world and blowing the whole thing up, and yeah. relatively going on strike, in my opinion. So it was yeah. an all-encompassing idea. And uh, I also was running out of time because I had to publish the blog post, which led to our seed round. <laughs> and uh, I just had to do it. So that's the real story. Deadlines create great outcomes, <laughs> uh, but good metaphor across the board. Well, now um, give us the... Give us the basics. So Strike is an app that offers, I understand, an easy way to buy, send, and get paid in Bitcoin. Pretty much the thing we all thought when we heard cur- the currency part of cryptocurrency. Kind of. That, so you're right. Uh, you're not wrong. Uh, we have two products. One is a consumer app. You can think okay. of it like a Venmo, a Cash App, a Chime. It's a modern-day neobank. Uh, and then we have, on the acquiring side, we have an API. You can think of it like Stripe with a P. The whole concept of the business though and why we're so different is we use the Bitcoin network as a payments rail to actually make payments cheaper, faster, global, more inclusive, and more innovative. And so it's a very disruptive concept is that we're not a closed network like Venmo. Venmo users can only pay other Venmo users. We're openly interoperable with the entire Bitcoin network. And we can get into why that's such a disruptive concept, but uh, it's the first time anyone has used an alternative payments network outside of you know, Visa, American Express, MasterCard, Discover, or things like ACH Swift uh, in probably 50 years. Listen, when you're a founder, it's fun to trade your craziest stories with other founders. Recently, Balloon CEO Amanda Greenberg, one of my portfolio companies, told me how Vanta's SOC 2 solution helped her save an important deal in the final hours. Yes, Balloon sells SaaS products and collaborative software. And when they needed 10 documents in place within 48 hours to close a deal, well, Vanta saved the day by supplying customizable templates for Amanda to fill out and helping them through the process all the way to close. So if you don't have your sock too tight, you can't close major customers like this. Vanta's compliance software makes it easier to get and renew your sock too. They continually test against technical and non-technical SOC 2 requirements. They partner with over two dozen audit firms who have been trained to file SOC 2 reports directly within Vanta. And on average, Vanta customers are SOC 2 compliant in just two to four weeks. Compare that to three to five months without Vanta. And guess what? 
Vanta's going to give you $1,000 off right now for your SOC 2 because you listen to This Week in Startups. Get that $1,000 off right now. Vanta.com slash twist. V-A-N-T-A dot com slash twist. Once again, Vanta.com slash twist for $1,000 off. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's go right into why that's so disruptive. I mean... And it's built on the Lightning Network, right? Just as a, a technology point. Yeah. So there's a giant misconception that Bitcoin somehow is tremendously slow and expensive. And that's not mm-hmm. true. Uh, Bitcoin is actually the fastest asset in the world uh, and the cheapest to move with uh, reliable security. Uh, and that's because of the Lightning Network. And so our entire pay- uh, payment stack and infrastructure is built on both Bitcoin and the Lightning Network. Tell me more then about the the kind of disruptive nature of this and and mm-hmm. why, I guess on some level, is this a product that could not have existed until the Lightning Network? Correct. Um, yeah, I think it's a really healthy exercise to revisit a little bit of history and mm-hmm. where we are today and why we're at where we are today. So yeah. historically, payment networks. So first of all, what is a payment network? Uh, it's pretty self-explanatory. Its job is to escrow value from point A to point B. If I want to remit money from the United States to Europe, a payment network can help facilitate the value transfer from the United States of America to Paris. If I want to buy a burrito from Chipotle, a payment network facilitates the value transfer from me, the consumer, to the acquirer being Chipotle. Uh, and so payment networks as we know them today, payment network, arguably Western Union is a payment network to remit money, uh, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover are the four payment networks that allow us to conduct commerce payments uh, in person pr- primarily. Even something like Stripe, it uses those four payment networks and it's just a layer that interfaces with the internet predominantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what are they and like how do they work? The main concept that I and think- And what's wrong with them. Right. Let's, the we'll main concept that I think alludes to like why this is such a disruptive concept that's really exciting is these are all payment networks that we're trying to build. They're trying to build digital payment networks for- non-digital assets. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so how do you digitally move a dollar? Or how do you digitally move a bar of gold? Or how do you digitally move a valuable piece of art like Vincent van Gogh painting? Right. Uh, it's a trick question. You can't. Right. And so what these payment networks, all, all payment networks like Visa are promises of future settlement. Because when I go to Chipotle and I swipe my Visa card, the dollars aren't actually hopping out of my pocket and into Chipotle's register in real time. Visa is coordinating with the many banks involved and saying, hey, is Jack good to buy this burrito? Can Chase be in debt to the Bank of America that's banking Chipotle? And can we entrust that Jack's actually going to be good to cover the cost of this? Because we'll promise future settlement to Chipotle now and then actually settle two to 15 days later and tax the merchant for this giant revolving door of credit that we've created, right? And Chipotle will pay 3% for us to future settle paper money because paper can't move digitally. Mm-hmm. It's the whole concept. Yep. Um, and so full faith and credit, full and faith and credit. Mm-hmm. And every single payment that we know before Bitcoin, Molly, is a debt promise, no mm-hmm. matter what. It is a promise to settle in the future. And then we build these really sophisticated systems like credit scores. And that's where you get financial inclusion is really complicated because in order to be included in the financial su- system, you have to be credit worthy. Who defines that? Do they have the bandwidth to define everyone in the world as credit worthy? Who defines creditworthiness? It's a very complex system and it's just old. And again, it's this concept of building a digital payment network for non-digital assets. Now, the, the big aha moment for Bitcoin is it is the first bearer digital instrument. It is the first actual digital asset that carries value mm-hmm. and it moves and settles at the speed of light. And so then when, if, if everyone in 1949 had Bitcoin, 
we would have never built debt promises and payments for future settlement. This would have never been a thing. We just, technology was far outpacing payments and money. Uh, and, and Bitcoin caught us up to the first physical bare instrument that actually it's a physical rock that's digital and can move at the speed of light. And so when I go to Chipotle, what can actually now happen is $10 is removed from my pocket, turned to Bitcoin, and there actually can be money that jumps over the counter and into Chipotle's register and turned back into dollars. So now if you re-ask yourself the question that Bank of America, when they founded Visa, asked themselves in 1956, well, what's the best way humanly possible to escrow physical value from here to Europe, from Jack to Chipotle? It's actually the physical instrument that can move at the speed of light. And that's the whole concept is it's a superior payment network. It's cheaper, it's faster, it's more inclusive because everyone in the world can use this open payment standard. And it's inherently innovative because right. everyone has an opportunity to build on it. And so I'll stop there. But that's kind of like this aha moment. And it's just very obviously better than everything we've known before. Right. It is very obviously better in all of those attributes, minus the one big one, which is the full faith and credit part. And so I wonder, like, how, to what extent is your network and the products that you're building the kind of thing that get us there to right to completing that closing that very important loop? Yeah, well, so I think if consumers have an obsession with 30 day uh, unbacked credit loans from institutions, that's not exclusive to Chase. In fact, you know who I would rather build that product for me? Jack Dorsey, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, right? I, I think entrepreneurs and innovators, it's just the capitalist society. People will figure out and serve people uh, the way people want to be served. I think it's this concept that so far we've been trapped in the system that the merchant gets taxed for it, that only those that are inside the system. I mean, card networks today are, they, they were founded as bank consortiums, right? They like not, Jack Dorsey can build Cash App, which is an amazing app. It's an amazing service. But in order to conduct commerce with the real world, he has to issue a Visa card. And so what I think is amazing about this is the payment, the ability to achieve finality in the world, whether that's a cross-border payment, whether that's Chipotle, whether it's internet tipping, micropayments, the standard is open and allows anyone to build. So I, I don't think that this is a uh, counter to consumer credit. I, I mean, we, we plan on offering products that rival your Chase Freedom card. Uh, I don't see why not. I think if I'm Chipotle now, traditionally, the messaging layer is separate than the settlement layer. When I message Chipotle, I want to pay and the receipt comes out. Uh, there's no actual money settling, money settling later. Now with Bitcoin, because the money is digital, the messaging layer is the settlement layer. And if I'm Chipotle, right, it, it relieves me of the burden of my relationship with the banks. Uh, and so it allows for a way more innovative, inclusive world. And because it's a free market, pricing will be naturally suppressive. You see like the DOJ and Senator Warren always lobbying against banks and there's government interference where the Federal Reserve tries to price interchange on debit cards. And none of that matters if we have an open free market and open free payment standard for everyone in the world. Uh, and then we just let entrepreneurs build. And I think it all work itself out. Tell me about the gap that strike fills here in that sort of larger vision, because it seems like this was built into the vision in some ways, but maybe not the white paper. Like, how did this become a product that you could create and monetize? Yeah. Well, so alluding to the Bitcoin white paper, you are, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a very important point, actually, because um, just stepping back for a second as like Bitcoin and lightning and, you know, why can we achieve this? Um, I, people sometimes mischaracterize Bitcoin's base layer as like, yeah, but it's, it's a blockchain, but it's slower. Or it's a blockchain, but it's more expensive. And if you want to do fast things, you do it on 
lightning. If you want to do slow things, you do it on the base. And I think that that's just a, a, appeasing to societal norms and people trying to compartmentalize what's happening. What Bitcoin's base layer actually is trying to achieve uh, and the white paper is allowing a digital bear instrument to exist forever. Allowing this Bitcoin thing, which is this magical digital bear instrument that can move and settle at the speed of light now, it has to exist. And in order for it to exist forever, it shouldn't matter who's the president of the United States, uh, what the DOJ has to say, who's over at war in Eastern Europe, uh, what the rate of inflation is. It needs to somehow exist within a distributed network and cannot be controlled uh, if the monetary policy is known, if it has a scarce supply, all of these things. So for people to say Bitcoin was designed to be slow, no, Bitcoin was designed to be, exist forever. And I love this is a mind-bending concept. Not only was cool. it designed to... yeah. I would, I, I don't think I'm arguing that Bitcoin was di designed to be slow. It just doesn't seem like it was designed to be used uh, the way that you have developed a product in order to use it, which is like, you know, yeah, send it back and forth and trade it and create an API and everybody can plug into it. And like, right. you're enabling the transition from store of value to currency in some ways. Yes. That I felt, I always felt like should have been there from the beginning. So I don't yeah, know well, what. <laughs> it's just, a, uh, I think it, it's a necessary predecessor to have the sound base of this digital rock that could live forever. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in that Bitcoin at its base accomplishes two things. It allows you to travel across space, quote unquote, it's a scientific term of like, mm -hmm. I can move money now from the US to Japan with Bitcoin. It also fascinatingly allows you to uh, move money across time, which is I can store a million dollars from now to the year 2140. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what the rate of inflation is. It doesn't matter if real estate in Miami gets bearish or bullish is that I have this instrument that lives within a known monetary network and no one can control it, inflate it, make it less appealing. It, it's an instrument that allows me to, to move money across time and space. And then once you have that level infrastructure, there's going to be infinite demand for this thing. It's globally accessible. It's inclusive to everyone. No one can control it. It's never going to go down like a Solona or a Visa. Then the Lightning Network is actually not a blockchain. And that's why it's going to be faster and superior to any other payment network. It's not a, it's not a block. It doesn't have a, a, it's not a blockchain. It's designed to make this digital rock that's going li to uh, live forever, move at the speed of light and settle for as cheap as possible. And then that's why you spent, we spent the last decade building the base layer as secure and robust and allowing digital money to move across space and time. And is it a little inefficient? Can it get expensive at the base layer? Yeah, but it's required to have this the properties that allow it to live forever despite any circumstance. And then on top of it, we can build the Lightning Network, which is just a payment standard, not a blockchain at all, that allows it to move so fast and so quick. And then that was the aha moment I had as a founder. I mean, I've been in Bitcoin 10 years now, just historically hacking in my dad's basement. And once all of this started to come together and I was on the front lines testing the Lightning Network, I was like, oh my God. Uh, I can do things out of my basement that Visa can't even do, that Western Union can't do, that Chase Bank can't do. And it's less about me. I don't consider myself a genius. It's more about this is a superior payment network that humanity's really longed for, is an ability to move value at the speed of light digitally. Listen, lots of founders are loosey-goosey with their personal phone numbers. You know about this problem. People start putting their personal mobile phone in documents, proposals, and it makes things super messy. If you're running your own company, you need to be professional and open phone helps you create a business phone number. And it's really easy. How easy is open phone? You install an app and you're done. 
You pick your number, you're done. And you can create a shared phone number. How great is that? You know how you have like an email for customer support, you do VIP at? Now you can have that for a phone number where multiple employees can feel calls and texts, including those texts, super important. Because that's how a lot of business happens. A lot of these young folks, they don't want to talk on the phone, they want to text. Well, open phone can help you with that as well. And it's affordable already. It's just 10 bucks a month. I mean, it's so affordable. It's ridiculous. I think they should triple their prices. I think I would pay 30 bucks a month for this, but they charge 10. Twist listeners can get an extra 20% off that for any plan for your first six months. That's even ridiculously generous. I mean, that puts it down to $8 a month. You're kidding me. You need to do it for yourself as an executive or a salesperson. Openphone.com slash twist. And if you have an existing phone number with another service that's overcharging you or that doesn't have this incredible feature set, they'll put it over for you. If you're thinking about phone numbers, I just want you to think openphone.com slash twist. That easy, folks. Just to like TLDR it, what you're really saying is that the white paper and the concept of Bitcoin had to be created first, understood, made real, and then entrepreneurs, and that that was always the plan, that there would be this foundation built, and then people would come along and build on top of that, like an operating system. Yeah. Even Satoshi even alluded to that. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay, now tell me about your product. Like who, because you have, this is a real thing that companies are plugging into, right? Twitter is using it. Tell us about some of the other uh, companies that are using your API. Yeah, so we just partnered. I think uh, the most like, whoa example is we just partnered with the biggest point of sale system in the world in NCR. uh, And we'll be turning on hopefully merchants like Wendy's and I don't know, I'm looking at the calendar like very soon. Um, This is such a like, holy cow moment. And, you know, to, to break it down for the audience, what actually will happen is, Traditionally, when you've walked into called Starbucks, uh, for the last 50 years, you've had four options to check out, which isn't necessarily intuitive. Those four options are American Express, Visa, MasterCard, Discover. And maybe you use your Apple Pay or your Apple Card or your Cash Card or your Chime Card, but those are all running on those payment rails. Right. Uh, and we're plugging in a fifth one for the first time in 50 years. And that fifth option is Bitcoin's Lightning Hour. And it doesn't mean you're spending Bitcoin or dealing with the volatility or the tax consequences. What actually now is going to be able to happen is that an app can have you walk into Starbucks and you wave a QR code at the machine. Uh, it's going to take dollars out of your app, turn it to Bitcoin, zip it over to Starbucks, turn it back into dollars. There's no delayed settlement. There's no concept of interchange. That's an amazing concept. And to just like illustrate how disruptive this is, right now, NCR's market cap, for example, is $5 billion. Visa's is $500 billion. And you know what the market's implying is that NCR is just a gateway messenger to the inevitable settlement between banks and Visa. And now NCR can actually settle the payment for Starbucks themselves because in receiving the message that a consumer wants to pay, they also receive the money. And with our API, we help them do it in a compliant way, in a way that auto converts to dollars. We deal with all the programmatic trading, the volatility risk, uh, and actually interfacing with the complex cryptography to where Starbucks just gets the instant dollars. But then in that flow of funds, the money goes from a consumer straight to NCR and Starbucks and Visa and Chase Bank and Bank of America are never involved. And so that implies a massive value transfer where if those businesses are worth $500 billion and highly predicated on the thesis that in order to spend and use and receive your money, you need them. Well, now all of a sudden you don't. Uh, that's being dematerialized by this open distributed payments network. And now the win- new winners will be those that compete and develop like the best experiences on top of it. Right. I feel like I completely understand this when it comes to international money transfer and remittances. Why is it better like break it down why it's better for Starbucks. Like why is it better for them to to settle money this way other than the delay in debt yeah. settlement? I mean, okay. I know credit card processors charge fees. I assume there's a fee here too. Yeah, it's it's just like 
unbelievably small, but we can, yeah. So just to walk through in layman's terms, Walmart, I want to buy a hundred dollars of stuff from Walmart and Walmart banks, Bank of America, I bank at Chase. I swipe my card. The point of sale at Walmart is going to call Bank of America and say, hey, someone's trying to pay us and give the card info. Mm -hmm. Bank of America is going to realize that the first number is a three. That's a Visa card. And they're going to call Visa and say, hey, who issued this? Someone's trying to pay us. Visa is going to realize Chase issued it. They're going to say, hey, Chase, is Jack good for a hundred bucks? Chase is going to say, yeah, we'll settle that later. I think he's good enough. His credit score is fine. And then tells Visa, Visa tells Bank of America, Bank of America tells Walmart, out comes the receipt. I sign it like the Declaration of Independence and we move on. Um, Now, this future settlement, now Walmart is beholden to the banks and to the card networks to actually get the money. And traditionally, they then take 3% of it. And it's very slow and inefficient. And then the more brutal thing is there's no innovation in there. Like that user story has not innovated for 60 years. And so it's kind of pain society, a lot of people in America, and then obviously around the world, billions of people are not included in the financial system that I have. Uh, And it's very expensive to the merchant. The merchant burdens the tax that our economy is run on debt and credit. Mm -hmm. And that's not fair. Mm -hmm. And so now if you're Starbucks, uh, I get when I get the message, someone wants to pay me. So the proverbial swipe the card in there is also the money in there is also a physical instrument. It doesn't mean you got to put Bitcoin on your balance sheet. Our software auto converts and just gives you the dollars. We interface with Bitcoin. Um, but then you never have to be reliant on the banks and the card networks to settle later and take egregious fees and uh, artificially inflate what they're doing. Uh, and that really, and then so Starbucks can even start driving like flywheel consumer behavior and say like, if you use like Cash App and Strike to check out with us, like we'll give you a free cappuccino every third one or or whatever, right? But they're saving on fees, their money settles instantly, and they're getting more customers. It's more inclusive because it's a crazy concept that. Some kid in high school could be taking a programming class and build his own wallet and check himself out at Starbucks himself. No, no regulatory license, no bank, no like sufficient balance sheet. Uh, it's because it's an open payment standard. So it means more business. It means cheaper fees. It means better access to capital. Working capital constraints are lessened. It's just a better like world, really. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no big deal. Just a better world. It is. I mean. All right, listen, Reforge is a career development platform for top-tier professionals, people who work in growth, product, marketing, and engineering. These are like the four pillars of your company, aren't they? Growth, product, marketing, engineering. Are you making those four functions and your leaders in those functions as great as they can be? Well, Reforge onboards new members and cohorts, and then they give them year-round access to all the program content, a vetted community of peers, plus weekly releases and events. And here's why members love it. Well, career advancement. You're going to want to get a promotion. You're going to want to get a raise. And how do you justify that? By being better at your job. How are you going to get better at your job? You're going to do skills training and work with a community that's going to make you better. You're going to sharpen your blade at Reforge. Their summer cohort is starting July 18th. So you got time for you to become a bigger contributor at your company. You want to apply for membership today. And you have to apply. Reforge.com slash twist applications take under three minutes and if you get in there and you're accepted you're going to become a super executive you're going to be a real contributor to your team apply at reforge.com slash twist r-e-f-o-r-g-e.com slash twist how do the fees compare i mean i'm seeing that you know for example like visa and mastercard clearly are feeling very comfortable they just raised those merchant fees yeah and you're coming along like thanks thanks for that big present yeah uh so I mean, our personal fees as a business, uh, they vary. But for the, what I think is the really 
amazing illustrative point and like how powerful of business this could be is our gross margins are 99.9%, right? And it's an insane, it's, it's a concept similar to the internet, uh, is that like before distributing movies was very expensive. You had to have relationships with movie theaters or blockbuster and pay employees to run them and you have rent and all of these fixed costs in order to conduct the service. Uh, and then all of a sudden Netflix came along and because of a digital network, all of that was dematerialized onto this open digital network and Netflix distribution for movies was free. Their only fixed cost was electricity and they won because they had the best experience. And I think it's very similar where Western Union, they have all these costs and employees all over the world. They're paying rent in 190 countries, right? All of a sudden, I can ask for value anywhere on the planet. And the only cost I have is to run a Bitcoin node because this open digital network is doing the job that they had done previously. And so for a Walmart, I could charge Walmart five basis points. That's 100% gross margin. And Visa can never, com- never compete with me, right? We're perfectly counterpositioned in that way. So um, it, it highly is highly dependent on the scale and size of the merchant and the relationship. But the whole concept is that uh, we'll always win on pricing. We'll always win on experience because the payment network under the hood is just plain speak superior. What are the what is the risk factor to you from volatility? I mean, I know the transfers happen fast. Probably the conversions happen fast, but for a while there, so did the volatility. Uh, we don't have any, which is surprising. A little bit about my. My, I actually don't, I was going to say my background. I don't actually have a background, um, but my, my <laughs> family uh, comes from uh, Chicago finance. So my grandfather was chairman of Chicago Board of Trade um, and helped invent uh, agriculture commodity derivatives. Mm. The whole reason I give that context is because uh, that's risk transfer. That's what a lot of markets and these trading firms, their pro- the product they're selling you is soaking up the risk. And mm-hmm. so I knew that by the time I was 10. And, uh, and so that's, we take on assumingly this risk, but we interface with different liquidity providers and partners that are giving us quotes in real time. Our software is accepting them in real time. We're transferring that risk onto them and executing. So our balance sheet remains flat. And why would a trader take on that level of volatility? Well, like that's why Ken Griffin is worth a kajillion dollars is because Mm -hmm. he sells the ability to transfer the risk onto him and he makes money on it. And so it's actually very simple. It's just how markets work. Yep. I feel like the thing I don't understand, there are two things. One, it feels to me that you have, this is the thing that makes Bitcoin part of society. Like you've solved this question of like, how do we use this? So so the two things I don't understand about this is how come no one did it before? And why have you only raised like $18 million? Like, haven't you just unlocked all of the potential of Bitcoin here? Uh, I'm not trying to butter you up here. I'm just trying to make sure I understand this correctly. (laughs) I'd like to think we are. I I also though want to delegate and pass that along to the Bitcoin as a whole. So we're the way I think about it is it's an open network, and the thesis of the whole business is the network is going to defeat all these old segregated independent closed payment networks onto one giant open one. And so it implies that there will be many many winners, right? Like how valuable is Google? They're the only website on the internet, not very valuable. The internet implies there's many participants, which allow many winners and many new experiences. So I appreciate the compliment. We're one of though, what is the hopeful many like cash app just came on. That's a beautiful thing about the business is it's the network effects and economies of scale are astounding. All of a sudden with cash app and Robinhood, I just got a hundred million new customers that could check out at my merchant partners. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do, I didn't do anything. I, didn't, mm-hmm. I was probably sleeping when they announced that. You could say if you wanted to. Okay. I didn't do <laughs> um, and so. That's so I appreciate huh. it, um, but that's a cr- amazing property of the business. Uh, 
we how much have we raised we've raised more than that um i think yeah. so uh, it was we, like 15 million and then another 18 is that right that's probably what what told you that crunch base we've uh mm-hmm. we've we've raised more and uh i think probably in in a month or two uh the world will know how big we actually are um right. but no for me uh i find like some i don't know i just reverse engineer about um success and what that looks like for us and more oftentimes than not telling the world how much we've raised or valuation or employee size and stuff has not actually been additive. So we've been pretty close to chess, not for any other reason than just hasn't been helpful, but uh, yeah. we've raised more than that. We're, I think we're a little bit bigger than people may think. Well, then what Crunchbase thinks, that's for sure. I mean, honestly, I find <laughs> that reassuring because I really was like, is there something fundamentally that I'm missing about this? Because it feels like you should be a way bigger deal. So I'm happy to know that you are quietly a way bigger deal. <laughs> Who knows? I, mm-hmm. the, I, the beholder, we'll but see. Uh, we'll, we'll see. see. What do you think about, uh, we recently interviewed a, an investor who is like, uh, much like you, I think sort of lightning, no pun intended, laser focused on the lightning network and the, the opportunities that are contained within Bitcoin, unrelated to .eth in your profile name and the NFT stuff. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you like, what do you think about all that other noise or the board apes drop over the weekend that, you know, raised $285 million, but cost buyers and under extra, you know, $176 million in gas fees. Like, it, do you just tune all that out or do you worry about it impacting the reputation of the whole space? Um, I don't, I used to think it was damaging the reputation. At this point, uh, I know it not to be because we've still been able to make these partnerships and articulate the superiority of Bitcoin as a payments network to the people in the world that matter to hear it. Um, what do I think about it? I think it's all garbage and nonsense. Um, and it's just an unfortunate distraction that I've matured enough to not let impact my view of the world. But the way I've always thought about uh, altcoins, as they're called, or alternative cryptos or other cryptos is an arbitrage on the trend. It's both a regulatory arbitrage and an informational arbitrage. There's a lot of excitement and a lot of demand to invest, especially during today's inflation. I mean, the Federal Reserve has effectively perverted risk tolerance across everything. And whether the consumer knows it or not, they have to get out of dollars. And that's a huge opportunity to, one, create new money and get a big VC round and sell it to dumb people or uneducated, I should say, uh, not sufficiently educated. And then it also is very helpful that uh, the SEC hasn't gotten around to uh, regulating these as securities, which they are both by law and just morally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you have a regulatory arbitrage and an informational arbitrage. And so I think this is just an arbitrage trade and they will have a short lifespan because they don't actually make logical sense. They only make sense uh, given the market structure, which is what an arbitrage trade traditionally is. So I've called them an arbitrage on the trend for quite some time. And I've learned to, uh, again, it's not helpful to what I'm trying to accomplish. So I just kind of ignore it. Yeah. What are, as you grow your business, what are the other, and as Bitcoin reaches mass adoption through this ease of use that you're enabling, basically, what are the other parts of Bitcoin finance that people are going to have to learn or understand? Like, are they going to need to figure out storage? Um, certainly. Uh, I, again, I think like the best, one of the best qualities of Bitcoin is it's open. Uh, and so the, uh, if you think about our infrastructure is the Bitcoin network, PayPal's infrastructure is the PayPal network. Uh, our infrastructure is getting way better every single day with way more people working on it. And it's because it's open and we share in the work of the world. 
Uh, and it actually exceeds far more than the intuitive network effect like that. Like we also get way better quality employees. Our turnovers basically zero like no one's definitely passionate about the chime network <laughs> mm. <laughs> people are very passionate about bitcoin and what it re represents to humanity and so there's a lot to resolve of but i think uh people are underappreciating the pace where in which this is all happening like i actually our seed round closed two years ago <laughs> this is remarkable mm. um and so yeah, there's a lot of things to work out. I think what I'm most fascinated by is the very various experiences that people are going to develop on this open thing. So we have one very particular one where we let you escrow dollars or what we call cash collateral, euros, pounds over this payment rail. And we think because Walmart wouldn't be able to accept payments over the Bitcoin network if they weren't received as dollars, they don't have the correct accounting and compliance oversight and stuff to do so. But mm -hmm. that doesn't mean it's the only experience. And I, I like to think of this as going to be like a renaissance of innovation and payments because we haven't had an ability to have full control over how money is settled. Uh, and now we do. And so I actually am just really curious to see entrepreneurs, open source developers and everyone like, how, how would you like to check out at Starbucks given there's an open payment standard that could check you out? I don't know. Maybe there's an app that you can't check out until you do. 20 push-ups measured by your aura ring because you want to get in shape. I don't know, right? But like, that's the type <laughs> of cool, cool things people could do. So, I don't know. Yeah. What are the, uh, this, I swear, this is my last question. What are the, what are the, the dominoes that fall in your mind that, you know, like you said, the, that the ultimate end here is people have to get off dollars, even if they don't know it yet. But before that, is it Walmart says, we don't take Visa and MasterCard anymore. We just use Strike API. Like, and then... You know, and then what what starts to get us there? What are the like key milestones in your mind? Uh, I think you kind of said it. It's just growing interoperability. Um, an open network is as strong as its participants. Uh, every single new participant is not subtractive like a competitor. It's actually additive into strengthening the network. And so I think our mission since day one was enabling the world with this network and getting as many people interoperable as possible. So I think the network effects will really take care of themselves. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the domino effects, it's not exclusive to Visa and Chase. Like, I think Chase should build a lightning network checkout and convince their consumers. I, not, I would bet that myself and Jack Dorsey are going to be better at, than them at that. But maybe people, maybe people think Jamie Dimon can build software. I don't know. Uh, but I think as we grow in our operability, the economic incentives are there. The societal, uh, incentives are there. The inclusion incentives are there. I mean, everything is in place. Uh, where the network affects economies of scale should really take care of themselves. So, yeah. Um, and I, I think I, the last thing I'll say is uh, some of the partners we talk to, there is this kind of looming doubt without like official regulatory clarity. Been very fortunate to work with Senator Lummis and other policymakers on ensuring that, I mean, I think the DOJ is having a hearing with banks now on swipe fees and, you know, and so I think, you know, the U.S. government, the world should want to empower this payment network to move us all forward, suppress pricing, include more people around the planet to uh, be able to make payments anywhere cheap and fast. And so I think maybe the last big milestone would be a bit of regulatory clarity, like, hey, this is not a security. This is a real payment standard that we want to see more Americans using and we want to support merchants and their ability to integrate it because it's better for pricing, it's better for consumers, it's better for inclusion. So I think like that staple would mean a lot and I think it's coming, but I don't think it's necessary. But if there were to be like a big moment, like, oh man, like floodgates come off, here comes Jeff Bezos, he's going to build his own thing into Amazon. 
It's probably the regulatory clarity that it's worth Amazon's time right now. Action Jack Malley at strike.me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're going to be hearing a lot more from you. Thank you so much for the time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. 